This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. Today's show is one of those catch-up programs we have to do, it seems like about once a month. We got a lot of ground to cover, so let's uh, let's do it. Starting off with on this date in history. Our date today is June 16th, and it was on June 16th in the year 622, which marked the traditional start of the Islamic era. This is the occasion when a persecuted Muhammad fled from Mecca to Medina. On this date in 1429, Joan of Arc leads the French army in the successful Battle of Orleans. The battle marked the height of her fortunes. And on this date in 1769, Father Unipero Serra, a Spanish Franciscan missionary, founded the first Catholic mission in modern California. It's in the site of present-day San Diego. On June 16th in 1945, the United States conducted an atomic bomb test at its research facility in Los Alamos, New Mexico. And once that genie was out of the bottle, there was going to be no getting it back in. In this date in 1951, American author J.D. Salinger's only novel, The Catcher in the Rye, was published by Little Brown. The book, about a confused teenager disillusioned by the adult world, was an instant hit and would be taught in high schools for half a century. Fame did not agree with Mr. Salinger, who retreated to a hilltop cabin in Cornish, New York, though he has continued to publish stories periodically. In 1964, on this date, in his acceptance speech for the Republican presidential nomination in San Francisco, U.S. Senator Barry Goldwater said, Extremism in the defense of liberty is no vice, and moderation in the pursuit of justice is no virtue. That was his response to the fact that he'd been called an extremist by some. Were he still in the Republican Party today, Barry Goldwater would be known as a liberal. At 9.32 a.m. on this date in 1969... It's local time. Apollo 11, the first U.S. lunar landing mission, was launched from Cape Canaveral. The mission was a resounding success and four days later put Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong onto the surface of the moon. Hard to believe, at least uh, to this correspondent, that that was four decades ago. Meaning if we go back to the stock market crash of 1929, this is equidistant from both events. Something which I must say disturbs me a little. Ten years later on this date, Saddam Hussein became president of Iraq, beginning a leadership role that, let's say, had its ups and downs. And on not this date, but yesterday, July 15th, let's just say sometime during the Eisenhower era, this correspondent was born. I am, however, going to have to check the calendar on that because there seemed to be something wrong with the calculation of how many years ago that was. Because I can remember Neil Armstrong on the moon. It seems like that was about, well, I don't know, a few years ago, maybe. Our quote of the day, and it's a good one, comes from environmentalist Anna Lapp, who said, every time you spend money, you're casting a vote for the kind of world you want. Our quip of the day comes from Wilson Misner, whose quips we've used many a time on this program, said, Misner, the only sure thing about luck is that it will change. And I'm not sure whether this is the idiot quote or idiot quip of the week, but I think we want to go with both of these. They both come from Donald Trump, hence the idiot adjective. Apparently when asked a few weeks back why he allowed Miss California to keep her crown, (laughs) Trump said, 
Carrie is totally beautiful, and her answer, because of that, took on greater importance. And when asked why a few weeks later he fired her anyway, Trump said, To me, she was the sweetest thing. Everyone else, she treated like... Four-letter word beginning with S. Which I'm pretty sure is why his critics are right. Donald Trump is not a billionaire. Although when someone dared to put that in print, he tried to sue them. Our stat of the day is zero. That's the number of hits that was given up by San Francisco Giants pitcher Jonathan Sanchez last Friday night. I'm not a big baseball fan, but I happened to be watching that game and was intrigued by the fact that uh, Sanchez had a perfect game going into the eighth inning. His, uh, his perfect game unfortunately got marred by an error by the third baseman, but he settled down and retired the next four batters. His correspondent had never seen a no-hitter, and I'm sorry I didn't see a perfect game. He came awfully close, but it, uh, it was kind of cool. Our joke of the day is as follows. The maid asked for a pay increase. The wife was upset and spoke to her about it. Said, Maria, why do you want a pay increase? Maria, well, there are three reasons. The first is, I iron better than you. Wife said, who said you iron better than me? Maria, your husband said so. I see. The second reason I want to raise is that I'm a better cook than you. Nonsense, said the wife. Who said you're a better cook? Your husband. I see. The third reason I want to raise is that I'm a better lover than you, said the wife. And did my husband say that? No, the gardener did. Wife, so uh, how much do you think you need? You know, I've got another stat here I think I can't resist. Let's make a second stat of the day, which is $90 million. That's how much Mexico is spending on an ad campaign to persuade American tourists to, again, return to the country now that swine flu is on the wane. The government-funded campaign features ads with such Mexican celebrities as opera singer Placido Domingo and pro golfer Lorena Ochoa. I didn't know Placido Domingo was Mexican. By the way, both live in the U.S., Mexico's tourist industry, of course, uh, has been hit pretty hard uh, since the H1N1 strain of flu broke out there. The Mexican Tourism Bureau said we've never been hit so hard. It's worse than September 11th. So if you're thinking about a Mexican vacation, this might be the time. We at uh, Radio Parallax, uh, however, uh, caution you before you go rushing south of the border. They're having some trouble down there. Our cartoon of the week, which is not a regular feature, but one we have to do every once in a while, I think, is from Lukovic, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Shows the devil holding up a newspaper that says, Michael Jackson, R.I.P. He's looking up at St. Peter on a cloud saying, Shall we flip a coin? All right, let's go into the good, the bad, and the ugly. It was a good week for politics as usual a few weeks back when it was revealed that the Obama administration, in keeping with longstanding political tradition in America, has been awarding plum ambassadorial posts to the party's big money donors. In fact, it was revealed in the Sacramento Bee last month that Sacramento developer Eleni Sakopoulos Konolakis, one of the top Democratic fundraisers in California, could soon join that list. 
Eleni, whose dad, Angelo, is one of the big developers in the Sacramento region, has apparently refused any comment on this news item so far. Her dad and former state treasurer Phil Angelides have recently made a purchase uh, of the vacant property near the bend on I-80 in Sacramento, and they'd like to develop the heck out of it. We'll be following that story, along with where they put Eleni. If we could make a suggestion to the president, I would, uh, I would advise perhaps Paraguay. It was, on the other hand, a really bad week for hundreds of people in Illinois when Cook County authorities revealed that four former cemetery employees at the Burr Oak Cemetery, that included three gravediggers and a manager, made about $300,000 in a scheme stretching back at least four years, wherein they sold existing deeds and plots to unsuspecting members of the public, they dug up hundreds of corpses and dumped some of them in weeded vacant areas near the cemetery while double-stacking others in graves. We suspect this is not one of those examples of areas that have benefited from less regulation. And uh, last week marks kind of an ugly week for chemistry students everywhere when it was revealed that the periodic table is now going to be expanded. Yes, apparently now element 112 temporarily named Ununbium, is going to be given some sort of proper name and stuck up on the periodic table. Personally, I think everything that comes after 103 ought to be called phony balonium because these so-called elements exist inside of atom smashers for tiny fractions of a second in quantities maybe of a few atoms. So I say they should leave the periodic table the way it was and just you know put all these new stuff in some kind of asterisks, addendum, something. So anyway, that's our official policy. The periodic table should be left in the old style of the elements going up to 103, Laurentium. Let's just call it a day. I realize this is not a point likely to intrude on many lives, and I've lost no sleep over this myself, but, you know, doggone it, it's just the right thing to do. If you feel otherwise, drop us a line at info at radioparallax.com. Now, if they name this new element Parallaxium, I may change my mind. All right, and speaking of a listener mail, we want to thank uh, Jackie, Ed, and Amber, all of whom responded to my uh, inquiry about what a split infinitive is in talking to Matt Perry last week. In fact, this might be worth a slight detour. Amber, our public affairs director for the last two years on this, uh, on this station, noted that a split infinitive is when a word or phrase comes between the marker to and the bare infinitive form of a verb, which, frankly... Helps me not in the least. And it's not your fault, Amber. I just don't get it. The example provided was in the phrase, to boldly go where no man has gone before, the adverb boldly splits to go and gone. So I guess technically it's more correct to say, to go boldly where no man has gone before. Personally, I like it the Star Trek way. Ed did warn against splitting infinitives around the grammar police noting that they like to always remind you it's bad form to thoughtlessly split your infinitive verb forms, i.e. to do this or that, said Ed. Of course, it isn't if you have a reason to do so. And I probably ought to leave it at that, but uh, Jackie sent a, uh, a website that kind of bogged me down. In it, it explained how you have to clearly define the word infinitive, noting that in English there are two kinds of infinitives, full infinitives and bare infinitives. Bare infinitives are things like go, make, run, split. Full infinitives are made up of two words, usually putting the word to in front of the bare verb. To go, to make, to run, to split. 
adding that this rule, this logic about not splitting infinitives, rests on comparing English to Latin, because in Latin there are no two-word infinitive forms. Thus, they don't have to deal with full verbs versus bare verbs. And I think it's time at this point for me to boldly split this entire discussion, because frankly it's given me a headache. But uh, thanks to all of you who wrote in. From the good news file, we have uh, the fact that a man in Fremont uh, who looked to be in a rather hopeless situation named Nick Glasgow got some startlingly good, startlingly good news thanks to help from the media. Nick has been battling leukemia and asked through the means of the press if some donor could not be found to help him get a bone marrow transplant. Nick's uh, situation was complicated by the fact that he's one-fourth Japanese and according to a uh, his doctors finding a tissue match with that particular genetic background meant his odds were close to zero. But apparently after the word got out uh, on the web and elsewhere in the media and various papers, uh, a lot of people sent in samples and basically two, not one but two, matches were found on all of the 10 different uh, tissue subtypes. So this, is, uh, this means his odds are pretty good and this is a remarkable example of what, uh, what uh, the media can accomplish. We uh, wish him the best with that, uh, with that um, bone marrow transplant. Some other good news. Apparently, cooler heads at the Food and Drug Administration have decided to leave Darvaset and Darvon on the market here in the United States after overzealous people in uh, Britain banned the drugs several years ago. Here in the U.S., the consumer watchdog group Public Citizen had petitioned the FDA to ban it here, something we talked about in the show several months ago. But again, fortunately, they were ignored. Uh, both drugs are uh, forms of propoxyphene, which is an opiate, and uh, admittedly are not the best pain relievers. However, I found as a practicing physician that they sometimes work well for some people, and, you know, like all drugs of this class, need to be used with caution. They're certainly not any more dangerous than, uh, than codeine or, uh, or Vicodin. I take issue with Public Citizen's Dr. Sidney Wolf, who said, This is a reckless decision on the part of the FDA unless they believe Americans are resistant to the death-causing properties of this drug in a way that Europeans and people in the UK aren't. I think I need to point to Dr. Sidney Wolf that people in the UK are also Europeans, and, and that damn near every drug out there does, in some capacity, have death-causing properties. Another oddball story from medicine. Uh, it's been noted that there's a drug for many unhealthy compulsions out there. Smokers have Chantix, alcoholics have antabuse, and heroin addicts can turn to methadone. But up till now, there's been nothing for kleptomaniacs. Apparently, <laughs> Mr. Middling suggests that handcuffs are one possibility. But uh, researcher John Grant at the University of Minnesota School of Medicine decided to test the ability of an anti-addiction drug called naltrexone to curb shoplifters' drive to steal. After dosing 25 certified kleptos with naltrexone, he released them into the retail wild. The subjects then noted that while their urges weren't completely gone, the drug did significantly reduce the rush they felt as they made off with their booty. So it's nice to know they were out there happily stealing away, just not feeling as good about it. John Grant, John Grant felt, nevertheless, that uh, the difference in their behavior was significant. These people are really troubled by their behavior. Mr. McMillan is sniffing an ignoble award somewhere in this research. All right, and speaking of letters to the editor, uh, not ours in this case, we love the letter from Kevin Mullen from South San Francisco writing the Chronicle about uh, businesswoman Carly Fiorna, who wants to challenge Barbara Boxer uh, for Senate uh, next year. 
But Mr. Mullen, let me get this straight. Carly Fiona doesn't bother to register her business or foundation with the state of California, the state she hopes to represent in the U.S. Senate, nor does she bother to vote in 13 of the last 18 state and federal elections. This woman is not qualified to sit on the local mosquito abatement board, let alone represent us in the Senate. For the record, we think Mr. Mullen is being a bit harsh. Mrs. Forina probably would do fine on the mosquito abatement board. Anyway, speaking of addictions, uh, I don't know why I'm addicted to Parade Magazine, but, but I am. I guess it's because once, once something's in Parade, you know it's gone mainstream. So I enjoyed, I enjoyed their article querying uh, whether grassroots activists are real in last Sunday's uh, Parade. We've talked about so-called astroturfing and uh, phony grassroots movements on this show many occasions. Article cited Parents United Now, P-U-N, a group focused on healthcare, which claims to be composed of, quote, patients just like you, unquote, who are shocked at decisions being made in Washington by, quote, big companies, lobbyists, and politicians. In fact, PUN is a project of the Americans for Prosperity Foundation launched by David Koch, a wealthy industrialist who opposes efforts to expand government-mandated health benefits. It may be time that we brought back our interview from a few years back with uh, David Rosenblum, who was representing a group called YIMBY, which stood for Yes in My Backyard, which purportedly was lobbying to have more <laughs> smoke-belching uh, industries placed in their neighborhoods. Tire-burning plants, things like that. We had some fun with that. We're going to have to go to the archives and dig that one out. And I had to laugh out loud at the parade article, which was on the, on the title, uh, cited as being My Favorite Movies by Michael Douglas which I thought might be slightly interesting here with Michael Douglas's favorite movies were. Turned out they were his favorite movies, movies that Michael Douglas appears in, which I thought made the selection significantly less interesting. Mr. Williams asked me if I'm not going to list those movies by Michael Douglas, and in fact, no, I'm not. <laughs> As we've decried uh, the steady decline of Newsweek and time in America, uh, <laughs> case in point, the magazine asked Ray Romano, alleged TV comedian, to list the best TV shows ever. And to his credit, I think Ray Romano makes some good choices. He said a show that scared the hell out of me, The Twilight Zone, a show that made me want to be a comic, Johnny Carson's Tonight Show, a show you thought was old-fashioned but isn't, The Andy Griffith Show, and the show that inspired my show and most others, The Honeymooners. You know, pretty good choices by Ray, but somehow I don't see this as appearing anytime soon in, say, The Economist. All right, our good pal Will Durst is on vacation for the summer. We expect him back uh, in September. But uh, I've got some funny stuff to take, uh, take his place, but I'm going to put that in our second segment. So let's, uh, let's, let's pause now, take a short break, and uh, then come back for more yucks and some serious discussions as well. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission, to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to go boldly where no man has gone before. 